I was getting some instructions prior to the service on how to take the mask off without getting it tangled into the mic. And so if I'm not doing a great job, it's because my teachers, Andreas and Gary, were not successful in teaching me how to do that. What do you guys think? Percentage-wise, how, how did I do? 60, 70% pass? I got a thumbs up. That's a pass. Well, good morning, Wallenstein Bible Chapel and, and Grace. Grace and peace to you, whether you're watching on Zoom, whether you're watching on YouTube, uh, or if you're able to meet in person. Yes, grace and peace. We need these things in abundance. Grace to sustain us when, when we aren't able to depend on the things that we normally do, like fellowshipping on a Sunday. And peace. Peace to all of you families struggling with online school. Uh, peace for singles lacking the opportunities to meet with others. For all of us, as we struggle with pandemic fatigue and ongoing uncertainty, grace and peace to us. Thank you, Good Keys, for leading us in worship this morning. I don't know or I don't think you realize just how pertinent and how relevant the songs you chose this morning are. Uh, The Lord does know these things, though. Yeah, as much as I love and as much as I need corporate fellowship, there is, there is something beautiful about this place we find ourselves in as a church, even though that place is scattered across many households. We're in this place right now where we are dependent on the Lord to meet us in needs as we have never depended on Him before. And so my exhortation to each one of us is to let us call on Him and lean on Him for the grace and the peace that we need during this season. This morning we are carrying on in the series of Follow Jesus, Follow Me, looking at the theme of following Jesus this morning to the treasure. And our key passage of scripture is found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Uh, And this passage of scripture, really this message, is an exposition of these verses. Uh, And uh, and the, the topic for today is a sensitive topic. It's one that oftentimes, as believers, we hesitate to talk about. Money. Part of the sensitivity around this theme is the inequality that exists among us, even as fellow believers in the church. In discussing finances, we quickly realize just how different we are. Some of us have great financial freedom, while others may struggle to pay the rent from month to month. And it can be hard to reconcile these inequalities as fellow believers in Christ and as members of one body. Our natural response is to try our best to ignore our economic standing and just to get on with things. But if you're like me, it can be pretty hard not to notice these things. If we're gathering physically in church, and a 15-year-old rusty Dodge Caravan parks beside a a brand-new Lexus, it's hard as humans not to compare. It's hard to hold back from the tendency to compare. I trust today's passage that we are studying will help us work through some of these things as a church as we look at what it means to follow Jesus to the treasure. Let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us, you've given us your word, you have given us worship, you've given us these things, Lord, to help encourage and strengthen us as a church. And so today I pray for each family uh, across this whole area gathered together in their homes, 
however they're listening, however they're tuning in, I pray, Lord, that you would be sustaining them by the grace and the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, though our bodies are absent from each other, yet, Lord, may our spirits be joined together for the praise of your name. Strengthen and encourage your church today. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So, Today's passage is a section of scripture that Jesus spoke uh, on the mount. Uh, It's recorded in the book of Matthew. And in this section, great crowds of people had gathered to listen to the teachings of Jesus. And in seeing these crowds, Jesus went up onto a mountainside. And I assume the purpose here was to create sort of like this natural amphitheater so that the people could see him as he spoke to them. And sitting down, he began to teach these crowds. And from the words of this message in the Sermon on the Mount, I get the feeling that this was a crowd of of desperate and needy people, downtrodden people that were looking for something. They're, They're longing for something. And possibly mixed into this crowd were also a few of the religious elite there to keep an eye on what was happening. And so among many other teachings... Jesus delivers this message regarding treasure. And let's read that now. Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now this passage comes in three chunks. The first and the third very clearly tie in with our relationship with treasure, whether that be wealth, possessions, property, or toys. Uh, But sandwiched in between these two passages, there's this other passage, verses 22 and 23. In these verses, the connection to wealth doesn't seems so clear. However, given its position, it would seem to be that this is one continuous thought on this theme. Now, disruptive as these two middle verses may seem, this middle passage is quite helpful in setting today's message within the context that Jesus delivers it. So let's begin first by looking at the two middle verses And that will help us, I believe, understand with greater clarity the message of treasure recorded in the surrounding verses. And so looking at these two middle verses, let's read those again. I read previously from the NIV, this is now the ESV. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? So what do these verses mean? The image here is challenging to understand because we have two different analogies being used to describe the same thing. There's a mixing of metaphors here. We have the image of an unhealthy versus a healthy eye 
And we have the image of a lamp. And these two images, these two metaphors are woven together. But these images have overlapping meanings. They both point to the two things that enable us to perceive our surroundings. For any of us to be able to see, we must have healthy eyes and we must have light. But if our eyes are unhealthy, even if we are surrounded by light, we'll be in darkness. I see a couple of interesting things in the way that Jesus uses this metaphor. First, Jesus uses the singular for I thrice over in this passage. In the NIV, it actually uses eyes, but in the original, this is the singular for I that's used three times over. Now, that's interesting because most people on earth, pretty much everybody has two eyes, yet here the singular is used. And the second interesting thing is Jesus doesn't say, if your eye is blind, your whole body will be full of darkness. The image of blindness, too, is often used in Scripture, but the passage in this passage, there is this perception that both the healthy and the unhealthy eye have the ability to see, but there is an unhealthy way of seeing from, from those with an unhealthy eye. Though the unhealthy eye sees, the body is still full of darkness. I think the reason Jesus uses the analogy this way is because he's using the term I as a way of describing our mental framework that we use to process things. It's our way of looking at things. And isn't that what the I is? Based on this, I'll paraphrase these verses in my own words. The way you look at things brings light to your whole being. If your way of looking at things is healthy, you will be full of light. And as a side note, this light is the life found in the teachings of Jesus all throughout this sermon, all throughout the New Testament. But if your way of looking at things is bad, you will be in the dark. And if the light, the teachings you hold on to, comes from comes into your body through an unhealthy way of looking at things, how great is the darkness in you? An example from the scientific world that demonstrates this principle was revealed through the work of Copernicus. Now, astronomers prior to Copernicus had a difficult time understanding our solar systems. The stars, they seem simple enough. The sun, it seems simple enough. But when astronomers began to identify and track the planets, they began to run into some problems. Now, beginning with the obvious assumption that the universe revolves around us, which from our perspective it does, they tried mapping the roots of the planets with Earth as the center. But they had to develop these elaborate patterns shown on the screen to account for these things. It was, it was this complex system of trying to get things. And no one planet followed the pattern of another planet. Copernicus came up with an incredibly simple, but at that time, a very unsettling proposition. He proposed that the planets don't revolve around us. Instead, they revolve around the sun. Suddenly, all the elaborate roots of the planets throughout the heavens came into line. Each was following the same pattern as it orbited the sun. And while this is a scientific analogy, it reveals the nature of our humanity and our weakness as well. Our basic understanding, our unhealthy eye, puts us at the center 
of our universe. In this model of thinking, when self is at the center, we seek self-validation in the eyes of our fellow humans, and personal gain is the ruling objective behind our life. This is the standard model of thinking that each one of us is born in. However, Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount calls his audience to a new way of looking at things, a healthy eye. This way of looking at things puts God at the center of the universe. In it, we are validated by God and pleasing God is the objective, the chief goal. And the implications of this mentality shift are pervasive. It changes everything. Just like the earlier astronomers would have gone planet by planet, looking at each one in the new understanding of their new perspective and found greater clarity and understanding, so too in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes a point of pulling out several different behaviors normalized in the culture at that time applying this new perspective on it. Here's just a few of them. Fasting. An unhealthy eye looks at fasting as an opportunity to be validated by man. And so this leads to us looking gloomy on the outside, making it obvious when we're fasting. Because because we want other people to notice us, to give us affirmation and recognition. But with God as the audience, it leads us to putting on oil, freshening up, making it making it seem like we're not fasting at all because we're doing it for God as the audience. Anxiety, the old perspective, the old eye leads us to become concerned and preoccupied with the needs of self. But the new eye leads to trusting God because if your life is for Him and for His glory, we have no reason to be concerned about what we eat or drink. Loving our enemies, the old eye seeks revenge and justice for self. But the new eye leads to a desire to display God's goodness, the God who loves both, the God who loves everyone, who sends both the rain and the sun to shine on everyone. And so we, through this, have this opportunity to demonstrate God's goodness by loving our enemies, giving, public prayer. Jesus re-examines all of these activities in the light of a new perspective, in the light of a new eye. It is in this list of re-examining all of these different activities that Jesus goes on to address the topic of storing up treasure. Now, today, we might think that we as believers, we are the ones who have this new perspective. We have this healthy eye. That's what makes us believers. But this perspective is not like a pair of glasses that you put on once and it's done. Healthy vision is a practice, something we must grow in and discipline ourselves in. In this way, Paul exhorts the Romans in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is something we must grow in, we must exercise, we must be renewed in constantly. In unpacking these verses on wealth, it's very possible that we will be inclined to view these teachings through an unhealthy eye. Though we are believers, though we believe in Jesus, we follow him, we still have that before us. So let's guard ourselves against us, against that. If we view these passages from an unhealthy eye, 
Some of the results might be, well, if you're well off, in response to this sermon, you might actually kind of feel a bit worried about what others will perceive of you. What could look like to other people a storing up of wealth that you are doing with your own life. There might be concern about what your perception, what other people will perceive you as. Or if you're struggling financially, you might feel pride or self-validation for not having many possessions. Perhaps you might even think about people that are rich and think, oh, they really need to listen to this sermon. Perhaps you might judge other people for their riches. Both these responses occur when we view today's passage from an unhealthy eye, where we seek validation in comparison to our fellow humans. We are perceiving new teachings through old mindsets, but the old and the new don't mix. A modern analogy would be like trying to update an old computer with new software or a new, so- a new computer with old software. The two are not compatible. If you want to have new software, you need to have a new computer. We need to look at these teachings through a renewed mindset, lest we crash. So on that note, let's look at our verses for today and see what the result of, an, of a healthy eye on treasure is. Is The first teaching on treasure is found in verses 19 to 21. Let's read that again. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This renewed perspective on treasure is so essential for every human to hear, whether they be rich or poor. Wealth is one of the most desired accomplishments on earth, and it lies, it, it has with it both the promise of self-validation and the temptation for self-pleasure. If we are richer than others, well, that must mean that we're important. And with our money, we can purchase things that lead to our own personal enjoyment. For this reason, both the rich and the poor idolize riches, whether that looks like growing your business to have a healthier portfolio or whether it means purchasing lotto tickets. Both idolize riches so often. However, when we apply a new perspective on wealth, it automatically leads to a dramatically different response. The reaction to a sun-centered perspective, a Christ-centered perspective, is that our desire for treasure is transformed. Where before we desired earthly treasure, treasure we could see and feel for our own benefit, and we have this new desire. Instead, our desire is for heavenly treasure, unseen with our eyes. And based on this new perspective, Jesus gives us three logical reasons behind pursuing heavenly treasure. The first reason he gives is that earthly treasure is susceptible to earthly harm. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The Lord has demonstrated this point personally to me a couple of times. The first was in 2008, I believe it was. Uh, While I've never felt called by God to spend my life and to spend my time uh, in financial stewardship, we decided to invest the money we had uh, through the bank. And it wasn't two months before all the money that we had invested 
uh, we had put it into the bank, lost a pretty much, I'm not sure, maybe a third of it when the economy went through a severe recession. A good chunk of that just vanished, just disappeared. And so my already weak confidence in money was weakened all the more in that. Well, so, so I adapted. Uh, when we went to South Asia, all uh, they, these economies work with very unpredictable currencies. And so people try to store up their wealth in physical belongings, like gold. Did you know that 11% of the world's gold is owned by Indian women? That is more than the gold reserves of USA, Germany, Switzerland, and the IMF put together that is owned by Indian women. So I started playing this game, being the son of a Dutchman. Every anniversary, every birthday, every wedding gift to Rebecca was something gold. And guess what happened? One time, while we were unpacking our bags after international travel, Rebecca opened up her jewelry pouch, only to find that every gold piece she owned somehow disappeared. Now, it wasn't much in the long scale of things, maybe around $1,000, $1,200 worth, I'm not quite sure. Not even really worth insuring at that point. But the point remains, physical wealth is susceptible to physical harm. While we have had here in the West a fairly stable economy over the past 100 years, will it always be that way? Now we see that Canada has crossed the $1 trillion mark deficit And what is happening in our housing market? Is this economy that we have so long leaned on really worthy of our trust? Jesus is right. Earthly treasures are not reliable. And even if they were, we would still leave this world empty-handed. The second point, though, that he makes is that heavenly treasures are not susceptible to earthly harm. Jesus says, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. A renewed perspective leads us to a better option than relying on physical treasure. With God at the center, we have the opportunity to invest into something far bigger than ourselves. We have the opportunity to store up heavenly treasure. But what are these heavenly treasures? How do we make these investments? We have this Royal Bank of Canada. There's the State Bank of India. Where can we find this heavenly bank to make these investments? Romans 8, 18 to 19 speaks of this. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of my present time, of this present time, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the sons of God. For Paul, so clear was his vision, so healthy was his eye, that he could see a treasure awaiting him that was worth the cost of great suffering in the present time. This treasure was the revealing of the glory of God, the beauty of God. In fact, he says that all creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. When the glory of God will be revealed through the sons of God. That's us. That's the church. To me, this says that the greatest, most beautiful things in all creation 
are less great and less beautiful than what will be revealed through us. The infinite expanse of space, the wonder of life in an animal, the fragile beauty of a snowflake, the breathtaking view of mountaintops, we are called to reveal a beauty greater than all these things for which all creation waits to see revealed. This beauty is displayed in the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount as we love not just our friends, but we love our enemies. It's displayed when we are not anxious about tomorrow, but when we have trust in God to provide for us through times of uncertainty. It is displayed when we are generous with those, with someone who even tries to sue us for our belongings. In the modern day examples, this beauty is displayed when in response to the inconveniences of COVID, instead of grumbling and getting frustrated, we see this as the backdrop for God's glory to be displayed in us. This might look like having peace in response to what might like seem to many of us very concerning news about new variants of concern. Or it might seem like for many of us when it seems like people are overreacting to this virus, instead of scorn, we reveal the patience, the kindness, and the love of God. This is heavenly treasure. We can also use our earthly resources to store heavenly treasure. One of my fellow workers in South Asia had a six-figure job before he came and became a fellow worker as an engineer for a multinational company. His company provided him with a luxury apartment, with AC, with a pool. And the Lord called him and his family to leave that position. So within one year, after living in this luxury apartment, he and his family were living in a one-room dusty apartment off the street of one of the poorest neighborhoods in the city he was in. Half of his house was dedicated to running the business that he was using to demonstrate God's beauty within that community. Whether or not a single person comes to faith through his ministry, his life demonstrates the beauty and the worth of his heavenly Father, the one who sent his Son into the midst of the brokenness of humanity. Even if there is no fruit of repentance from his neighbors, the character of the Lord is still being demonstrated through his efforts to provide hope and justice through his business. This is heavenly treasure. And one final example, over the course of our ministry, we've been the recipients of many sacrificial demonstrations of generosity. As a church, Wallenstein, you should be encouraged. Rebecca and I have witnessed, have been witness to the goodness of God demonstrated through you sustaining our ministry. In this way, you have acted like the shrewd uh, steward of Luke 16. Well, when I was preparing this message and I was going over it, several times I shed, said the shrewd serpent. No, you're not acting like shrewd serpents. You're acting like the shrewd steward of Luke 16, who is commended for using the resources available to him in his one position in order to prepare for a better position in the future. This too is heavenly treasure. When we use our physical resources in a way that demonstrates God's goodness and so store up for ourselves 
heavenly treasure. And one final example, uh, sorry, and one final argument that the Lord uses is also revealed in Matthew 6.21. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Perhaps you have noticed this snowball effect. Passion and interest grow in the things you invest into. Now, I, I hesitate to use this analogy but because I don't feel like I'm quite ready to face this within myself, but, but here's what's happening. Uh, a couple of months ago, I bought a book. Uh, it's, it was for one of my sons. It was a book on birds. Uh, he really enjoys bird watching. And, and a few weeks ago, Rebecca as well bought this really nice pair of binoculars. Now, it's possible that I've started to wear these binoculars on a daily basis as I walk around our property. Uh, it's also possible that just this past week, I also noticed for the first time a cowbird, pine warbler, a wood duck, and a veery. Now, while I'm not yet ready to admit that I'm joining the ranks of those birders who are glued to their binoculars, who have their lifer lists and, and turn the car around every moment they can when they see a bird on a wire that they don't see what it is. Yet still, I see that the principle of this verse is at work in me. Where your treasure is, be that books and binoculars, businesses and bank accounts, or an eternal treasure stored up in heaven, there your heart will be also. This verse stands as both an encouragement, an encouragement, and as a warning. An encouragement to store up eternal treasure and a warning against storing up earthly treasures. And the final verse in our passage for today carries on in this same note. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, this is a very difficult passage to read. This is perhaps one of the most challenging passages for, us, for many of us to consider uh, because so often we try to make these compromises between our two masters. Some of the ways that we make these compromises is we can think, we can think about the money we have as just a portion of it being the Lord's and the rest being ours. There's different ways that we try to make these compromises. That is, that is the first. If I give my 10%, well, that means that the rest of it, the 90%, is mine to use as I want. I've fulfilled my obligations to the Lord. In this way, we try to make a compromise between these, which we should not be doing, which Jesus is calling us not to make. The 10%, Giving the 10% or giving of our finances, it does help our hearts get more excited about serving the Lord with the rest of the 90%. But it's still on us. It's still on us to serve the Lord with all of our finances. Now, that doesn't mean that I or you are expected to give away 100% of our finances. But the calling is to live our whole life in the light of God as the center of this universe. And so that means that as I pay my bills on time, as I think about things to invest into, as I, 
am concerned with caring for my wife and caring for my family, all my money is committed to demonstrating the goodness of God in one way or another. The second way that we can try to reach compromises between serving the Lord and serving money, this idolatry toward money, is we seek to justify the things that we really want, packaging them in the guise of good purposes. In this case, in this case, this is an example for myself, when my true motive in my heart is actually just to obtain something primarily for my own enjoyment. But as a believer, I, I struggle to justify this purchase. I can think as I compare myself with others, well, what will other people think of me when they see me spending my money on this thing? So in order to help ease my conscience, I try to create this compromise between these masters. I think about what the possible good things that that purchase might mean for the kingdom of God. Now, a new golf club, for instance, could be packaged as a means of creating relationship opportunities with people on the golf course. But really, I just want a new golf cart, uh, sorry, a new golf club. A new iPad Pro could be packaged as a means of doing better ministry presentations. A new sports car could be packaged as a means to demonstrate the generous heart of God in taking people for rides. Now, let me be clear. None of these purchases are inherently wrong. If God is honored, perhaps the time would come for someone to purchase 10 sports cars. But if we are motivated by our selfish desire, if the ruling motive behind it is what I would like, rather than a desire to reveal the goodness of God, these things quickly become master over us. There's a warning for us in this verse. No man can serve two masters. In all of these situations, we need to look at things through a healthy eye, not taking into account the perception that these purchases will have on our reputation, not trying to balance our own image while reconciling it with our selfish desires. That's an unhealthy eye. Rather, we are called to be motivated by an improved vision of a God for whom all things exist. In conclusion, the challenge to be renewed in our perspective on a daily basis while we live in this world that doesn't share this perspective is great. Every day we are surrounded by the call and the expectation that we will be investing our time, our energy, our resources based on an unhealthy way of looking at things, based on the core assumption that this universe revolves around self. This perception calls us to save so that you can have a carefree retirement. It calls us to spend so that we can enjoy life today. But as followers of Jesus, we are not called to that. We are called to follow Jesus to a true and lasting treasure, one not affected by inflation or economic crisis, but one that is eternally secure. This eternal treasure is a life that has reflected the beauty of our Creator. It's a life that has been lived in the ways that He has called us and gifted us to live. 
For some, the Lord has given businesses and financial freedom. Before you is this question, how can you use those resources in the light of our new perspective shown through Christ? How can you use your resources to demonstrate the beauties of an intangible Heavenly Father in the tangible realities of today? Will the generous heart of God be revealed in you? Will the sacrificial surrendering of Christ be revealed in you? Will your life demonstrate that God is greater, better, and more delightful than the wealth of this world? But this exhortation is not just for the rich. It stands equally for those who are financially insecure and unstable. For you, the question is, will you respond to your needs in a way that reveals your trust in God's goodness? Will your life reveal a confidence in Him to sustain and to provide for you even when you don't know how or where that's going to come from? Will your life be filled with thanksgiving and praise to God even when all you have is just enough? Both the rich and the poor, the financially stable and the financially struggling are given equal opportunity in this. We are called to store up for ourselves eternal treasures in heaven. We are called to live our lives in the light of a healthy eye shown to us in the life and the teachings of Jesus. Will you follow Jesus to the treasure? Let me close in prayer. Father God, we need your spirit to enable in us the, the vision that we need to see clearly what it is that we ought to live for. And Lord God, we need your help to have the strength in this world to follow Jesus to true treasure. Lord, we lack in ourselves that ability. And Lord, this, this world, it rubs up against us. It wears against our wills. And it calls us to a life that is not lived in that eternal perspective. O oh Lord, by your Spirit, strengthen us in this way. That the eternal worth and the eternal glory and the eternal beauty of our Heavenly Father would be revealed in us, his children. Lord, strengthen this church. Strengthen Wallenstein Bible Chapel for the praise of your name. Strengthen them this week to make their decisions and to re to reconsider how they spend their resources and spend their time in light of a true perspective found in Christ. And Lord, to cause them to delight in that eternal treasure. Cause them, Lord, to delight themselves in the revealing of the glory of God in this world. Lord, we lean on your spirit for this. We depend on you. We ask for your grace. And we trust you to give. We pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.